Last week, when we were together live, we started our Christmas season with a reflection on what sort of preparations we might engage in this month for the arrival of Jesus. This is a theme in the stories leading up to Jesus' birth that God announces, whether via an angel or a dream or an angel in a dream, that Jesus is on his way so that the characters in the story can properly prepare for the arrival of the Savior, whose arrival, as the angels tell the shepherds, means great joy for all people. Today, though, we're going to look at a few of the characters in these stories for whom the announcement is perhaps a bit more complicated, for whom their primary emotions at first might not be great joy. We're going to look at the men in these stories, because if any characters in the Bible need more attention, it's the dudes. (laughs) They've really been neglected over the years. (laughs) But In all seriousness, the men in these stories of Jesus's arrival are often put in an interesting place, forced to make a decision about how they are going to receive this news that Jesus is coming. Specifically, the coming of Jesus is in some way a threat to them and to their own sense of self, who they are as a man in their cultural setting. If you're like me, you've seen a whole bunch of articles and books and listen to podcasts about how in the Western world we are currently experiencing something of a crisis of masculinity, as the old models of what it means to be a man are shown to be at best overly simplistic, and at worst, just excuses for being assholes, or worse than that. But however you want to slice it, scholars are finding that many men today feel confused about who and what they are supposed to be. They too are at a decision point. And I think the reaction of the dudes at Christmas might just have something to say to us as well, both the men and the women amongst us. So first, let's look at the decision points that these dudes are placed in by Jesus. Joseph is approached in a dream. This is the very first story Matthew tells in his gospel, starting in Matthew 1, 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, took place. His mother Mary was engaged to Joseph, but before they came together, she turned out to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband-to-be, was an upright man. He didn't want to make a public example of her, so he decided to set the marriage aside privately. But while he was considering this, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, said the angel, don't be afraid to get married to Mary. The child she is carrying is from the Holy Spirit. She is going to have a son. You are to give him the name Jesus. He is the one who will save his people from their sins. Now, Joseph will have been brought up in a culture where one of his primary roles as the patriarch of the family is to protect the honor of the family. Honor was extremely important in his culture, and dishonor was like a contagious disease that would spread, if not checked, to anyone who touched it. Dishonor you know, like a pregnant, unmarried woman, for example. There was a simple way to check that dishonor, to do the duty of a good man in that culture, and it's right there in the text, to cut off Mary from the family. Because letting her in with a baby that was not his would bring shame. Shame upon him and upon his family, which is why when he and Mary uh, returned to his family in Bethlehem, There is no room for them. The rest of the family got the message and did the right thing. They cut off the shameful ones from their midst in order to protect their family. 
That is the choice that is plopped in Joseph's lap by an angel in a dream. Will you do what a man is supposed to do? Luke, in his gospel, opens with a different story of an angel coming to a different dude. Zachariah is a priest who serves at the temple. He and his wife, Elizabeth, have not been able to have any children. But Gabriel shows up and tells Zachariah that God is giving them a son and that his name will be John. Zachariah's response shows something of a lack of faith. (laughs) And I love how N.T. Wright translates the angel's response. This is in Luke 1, 19. Look here, replied the angel. I'm Gabriel. I stand in God's presence. (laughs) I was sent to speak to you and give you this splendid news. Now listen, you will be silent. You won't be able to speak until the day when it all happens because you didn't believe my words. But they will come true at the proper time. So Zechariah is mute, and then the story continues later in the chapter. Verse 57. The time arrived for Elizabeth's child to be born, and she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had increased his mercy to her, and they came to celebrate with her. Now on the eighth day, when they came to circumcise the child, they were calling him by his father's name, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up. No, she said, he is to be called John. None of your relatives, they objected, is called by that name. They made signs to his father to ask what he wanted him to be called. This is perhaps a bit less high stakes than Joseph's decision point, but for Zechariah, his job as a man is to name his firstborn son. And not just to name him, but to name him the right sort of name. A name that links the boy back to the family from which he has come. A name that echoes the names of the prominent men who came before him his ancestors. Ancient Jewish culture, like a lot of cultures, placed a lot of importance on the family that you were a part of. And in ancient Jewish culture, that family you were a part of linked you to the chosen people of God. So this actually did matter. You can see how the family reacts to Elizabeth stepping forward and bringing this foreign name, John. Zechariah, the family says, get your wife back in line here. What is the boy really going to be called? Jumping now to Matthew chapter 2, it opens with these verses. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea at the time when Herod was king, some wise and learned men came to Jerusalem from the east. Where is the one, they asked, who has been born to be king of the Jews? We have seen his star rising in the east, and we have come to worship him. We can kind of backfill some of this story. Astrologers from the east from Persia or Babylon, they see a star and they consult their star charts or whatever it is ancient astrologers used for this sort of thing. And they have a decision. Are they wise and learned men who we can safely assume had wealth and status to spare in their context? Are they going to travel countless dusty miles so that they can bow down and worship a baby Jew in some backwater crossroads of the empire? Bethlehem was not a destination. No one important lived there, came from there. Are are they really going to do that? Acknowledge that this baby from there with those parents is their superior, worthy of worship? And in this same story, another decision, because Herod was king in Judea. And the Magi have just announced the birth of the king of the Jews. In Judea, as everywhere, there is only room on the throne for one man. 
So how is Herod going to respond to this invitation from God to lay down his own crown and worship a baby born in a manger to an unwed mother who might just be the savior that people have been waiting for? Four dudes, or groups of dudes, (laughs) all with a decision to make about how they are going to respond to the arrival of Jesus, all being faced by the prospect of a loss of status to some degree or another, all who are finding that the invitation of Jesus, if they accept it, is going to cost them something. Next week, when we are gathered, Leslie is going to be preaching from Mary's song in Luke 1, the theme of which is that in the coming of Jesus, God is at work, throwing the rulers down from their thrones and raising up the humble from the dust. And here we see that at work in the lives of four men or groups in the case of the wise men. Will they willingly get down from their thrones, whether the literal throne of Herod or the throne of masculinity that Joseph and Zechariah have sat on since birth? First, Herod, this is Matthew 2.16. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he flew into a towering rage. He dispatched people to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and in all its surrounding districts from two years old and under, according to the time the Magi had told him. So Herod's answer is no. He won't step down from his throne. He will act the way a strong king should in response to a threat to his rule, to his status, to his throne. Backing up a few verses to Matthew 2, 9. There was the star, the one they had seen rising in the east, going ahead of them. It went and stood still over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were beside themselves with joy and excitement. They went into the house and saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. They opened their treasure chests and gave him presents, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The Magi say yes, and to the puzzlement and wonder of the baby's mother, they fall down and worship him, bringing lavish gifts. And look at verse 10 again. What they found when they humbled themselves was that they were beside themselves with joy and excitement. We'll come back to that in a minute. But first, going back to Zechariah in Luke 1, they made signs to his father to ask what he wanted him to be called. He asked for a writing tablet and wrote on it, his name is John. Everyone was astonished. Immediately, his mouth and his tongue were unfastened and he spoke, praising God. Zechariah says yes. Risking the wrath of great uncle Hezekiah or whoever should have been in line to be the namesake of this long-awaited son. And immediately his tongue is loosed and his voice is raised in praise of the God who humbled him. And then finally, Joseph. Now we aren't given any of the thought process, the internal wrestling that must have accompanied so momentous a decision. But here's how Matthew describes the result of the dream that changed Joseph's life. When Joseph woke up from his sleep, he did what the Lord's angel had told him to. He married his wife, but he didn't have sexual relations with her until after the birth of her son, and he gave him the name Jesus. From before his birth, Jesus presents a challenge to the dynamics of power and status in his culture. We see this clearly in the way Jesus' birth challenges the masculinity of these men as masculinity is defined by their culture. But there are, of course, broader dynamics of power that are under threat, too, as King Herod clearly realized. 
The coming of Jesus will bring us to points of decision. Not once, but countless times. Decisions in which we are confronted by the potential costs of saying yes. But the angels say to the shepherds that the coming of Jesus will be great joy to all people. How can this be in light of the costs faced by the men in our stories? Perhaps it's the case that power and status and even masculinity are not all they're cracked up to be. Perhaps the beside themselves with joy and excitement that the wise men feel as they find and bow before Jesus, perhaps that is pointing us to something deeply true. Power, status, masculinity, they are prisons. Chains that bind us to manufactured ideas of who we need to be and how we need to act. Bars that box us into patterns of thought and behavior that are not only destructive to the world around us and to the people around us, but are corrosive to our own hearts. How is Jesus good news of great joy to all people when some of those people are going to be thrown down from their thrones or going to be asked to renounce things that they were told were core to their own identities? How can that be? What we find when we say yes to the decisions put before us by the coming of Jesus is that in saying yes to stepping down from our thrones, we're set free. Free to be who God made me to be, not who society tells me to be. Free to be formed into the character of Jesus, not into the caricature of whatever picture our culture paints of masculinity or of status more broadly. And in that freedom, despite the cost, or maybe because of it, we find life and great joy.